for taking a deep dive into the rapidly shifting landscape of sports media. It's Monday, July 10th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. There must be something in the water because many of the biggest names in morning sports talk are acting very strangely. Joining me now to give us a peek inside what's happening is Front Office Sports senior writer Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. So last week we got the news. Skip Bayless announced unexpectedly that he's taking a two-month break. Um, how did this news strike you? It strikes me as very odd and potentially very risky, Owen. I mean, Skip came out on Twitter and basically said his show is going to be off the air for two and a half months. Uh, basically, FS1 is going to run a bunch of reruns in his 9.30 to 12 noon slot. So um, anytime you mess with viewer habits like that, you get them out of the habit of watching the show every weekday, it's a problem. And the bigger problem for him is that Stephen A's first take has almost three times the audience right now. And this is only going to allow Stephen A to widen his lead over his old frenemy. Right. And, you know, if you're FS1 and you're you're showing reruns of stuff, it's not like watching reruns of The Simpsons or Seinfeld where you might just still enjoy it just as much. Like the whole point of the show is that it's fresh. It's the news. It's the morning. You know, it's, it's that day. Um, and there's there's fresh stuff to talk about. And, and yeah, and of course, they they just said goodbye to Shannon Sharp, who uh, and so it was already a show in flux on uncertain ground. Yes. And now they are um, just saying, you know, we'll see you when we see you. Yeah. Well, we're hearing this is directly related to the departure of Shannon Sharp and Skip and Shannon were a very successful duo for six years on Undisputed. And his departure has left them scratching their head and Skip scratching his head on who he's going to replace him with. Does he hire one full-time debate partner? Does he go with a team approach like Stephen A. is doing over at First Take? And the result, Owen, has just been gridlock. Um, there's plenty of talent out there. There's all these people laid off from ESPN. There's a half dozen candidates within FS1, so they can do it. But Skip controls everything about that show, including who will sit across the debate desk from him. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a very slow uh, process. At the same time, it's making Skip kind of nuts from what I hear because the guy's a human hot take machine, you know, who lives to do hot takes uh, every morning. And for all this NBA stuff to be going on without him weighing in is a little frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And it is very strange. I mean, I have to imagine, even though Skip is a nutcase, that that's still a very desirable seat across from him. So it, it is a little perplexing to me that there is this holdup. It's a double-edged sword. If, if you're an A-list talent, you have to ask yourself, do I want to sit across the hot seat from Skip knowing that it's his show, that he's going to have the final say, that I'm always going to be subordinate in salary, in power, in influence? Uh, you really have to check your ego at the door. At the same time, you just put your finger uh, on something that's just uh, really good. If you're somebody who's sort of in between jobs right now, it's a great opportunity, right? Because you can go to FS1, you make a seven-figure salary, you establish yourself as a morning personality, and maybe you establish yourself as a successor to Bayless. I mean, the guy's 71. Uh, he could probably do this physically until he's 90, but does he want to? Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Shannon Sharp, what's next for him? Shannon Sharp uh, is in early talks with FanDuel. Uh, we haven't 
uh, heard how far along they know. But, you know, FanDuel obviously has money to burn. They were paying Pat McAfee 30 million bucks a year. So Shannon could be a great part of their new programming. But uh, I just did a column in uh, Front Office Sports Owner where I predicted that I think ESPN makes a lot more sense for Shannon. I'll give you two reasons. He could slide into the Monday Night Countdown crew, succeeding Steve Young as the Hall of Fame NFL Super Bowl winner, and he could join Stephen A. Smith's group of rotating debaters and maybe set himself as the successor to Stephen A. should Stephen A. move into late night television or acting or entertainment. Yeah, and, and as long as we're on that, you you've been in uh, you know starting to beat this drum for a little bit. W- what's the future for Stephen A? Do you think he stays at first take and until you know he's he's Skip Bayless age or what's well, going to happen got, there? He's got a couple of years on his contract, but I tell you, you know, Owen, as you said, he's making a lot of comments and, and talking about a lot of non sports stuff, which makes me wonder if he's kind of bored. Uh, he's been number one for ten years. Uh, maybe he feels like he doesn't have any more hills to climb at uh, ESPN. He's talked about running for president. He's talked about hosting a Jimmy Kimmel uh, type late night show. He's talked about, you know, going into acting. We all know he's brick on General Hospital. So (laughs) I think right now Stephen A is like ESPN at a crossroads and trying to figure out what he wants to do next. All right. Yeah. Well, very interesting time to be watching all these moving parts. Great to have you, Mike. Thanks, Owen. Up next, everyone knows that the world is moving to streaming and live sports rights are a huge draw when it comes to driving signups for streaming services. The only problem is that with only one major exception, streaming is not profitable yet. We will dive into why that is and what it means with Adam Schwartz of Horizon Media. That conversation is coming up next. I am joined now by Adam Schwartz, Senior Vice President and Director of Sports Media for Horizon Media. Welcome, Adam. Thank you for having me. So I just want to start with a overall state of the nation on media right now in terms of where's cable at? Is cable dying? Is streaming truly the next thing? You know, how, how does linear broadcast factor in at this point? So if you could, just where are we at right now? Yeah, so there's a lot going on overall in the general landscape, obviously. Um, The big shift from linear to streaming last year was Thursday Night Football, and all eyes were on that. Um, We're going to see more and more of that, I think, as as things continue and the leagues break off packages. You'll see more exclusive packages for streamers. Um, Is cable dying? (sighs) I mean, it certainly seems to be on that path. Um, but there's a lot of nuances that come with that as well. So, um, ESPN made the announcement during their upfront that they're looking to move to direct to consumer in the next few years. I think the latest I'd heard the earliest that they would do that was 25, 26. Um, but I think a lot of that is going to depend on how their negotiations go with the NBA and what happens with that league deal. Because the big thing that happened two years ago when the NFL re-upped with everyone, was while they moved one of their packages Thursday Night Football to Amazon, they still left open everything else for the broadcast networks, certainly ensuring the value of CBS, Fox, and ABC and NBC for the for the next decade, right? I think that goes through 2032, if I'm correct. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the NBA negotiations play out because 
I'm sure that they're okay with a portion of that stuff running on a direct-to-consumer type of product. Um, they might require a certain amount of games that air on ABC. Right now, ESPN is and Disney in general is only airing a certain amount of games there. So that could have a major impact on how quickly ESPN is able to do that. Or they might say, frankly, no, we want a, part, a cable partner because we want to have as many eyeballs on this as possible. And while right now streaming eyeballs can't necessarily compete with what's going on from a linear standpoint, it's gravitating in that direction where it might be able to. So Amazon Thursday Night Football did really, really well, um, but still comparatively was down significantly from what it did on Fox. Yeah, and I think that speaks to this middle ground where we're in, where there are still more eyeballs on cable. Um, you get the bigger audience there, but everyone wants to move to streaming be, so they can have that audience established as streaming takes over. But it's streaming is taking its time. So yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought of Thursday Night Football's performance because audience was significantly down from you know from the previous year when it was on cable or on, on broadcast, and uh, and yet you know the Amazon's patting themselves on the back for a job well done for bringing in new audiences and beating their own expectations. So yeah, should we think of that as a success? Uh, I think so. Yes. Um... One of the things that I said to some of the people at Amazon prior to their their streaming, and I completely underestimated, I thought it was going to do much worse than it actually did. Uh, <laughs> that's just me. Um, I tend to err on the conservative side. And, you know, we made a couple bets with a few of our clients who were involved in in Thursday Night Football. And I think it really it really paid off well. Um, now, that said, I think that in 10 years from now, there's going to be such a graying of that area that it'll be we'll be looking back on this time period where it's silly and the and the audiences will be comparable to what we see in linear television now it remains to be seen but as people adjust and you know older people tend to not know what to do with the new technology um and it's been a struggle but they've shown that they can get mass audiences on there for the right thing what's going to be very interesting is you know obviously NBC uh will have their first exclusive NFL playoff game and I think plans for that, whether it's going to be in front of the paywall or behind the paywall, is still kind of up in the air. But I think that's going to be very, very telling. And it's really been a learning curve for all of us to really understand, you know, what's the power of this and how deep can it get? Because from a league and a network standpoint, you want as many eyeballs as possible, right? Um, from an advertiser standpoint, I want as many I want as many eyeballs as possible. But I don't want to pay for something even if the audience is more premium and Amazon honestly did a fantastic job. Their audience is so much younger than the rest of the NFL in terms of uh, the, the targeting that we do. And that's obviously going to benefit them. But at the same time, while their percentage of adults 18 to 34 are much larger than what the broadcast networks do, there's still more eyeballs and adults 18 to, 84, 18 to 34 that are watching all of the broadcast networks. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's all relative, but I do think, you know, just the general way that we're heading is that in, in, in a decade from now that it's, it, it's going to be great even further and you know, they'll be able to reach the mass audiences that they're, that they're looking to accomplish. One question I've had for a little while now is when we get to that point of streaming is the dominant thing. It's, you know, with, with the large majority of people, how they're consuming their media sports included, Will the will there still be the same amount of money involved total? Because in the cable world, you just paid for everything. It was the only game in town. You could have cable or you could not have cable, but you couldn't have a piece of cable. So you just you had to pay for the whole thing if you wanted any part of it. 
Whereas now you get to pick and choose. You can say, I want Disney and Amazon, but I'm not going to bother with Peacock or Paramount or, you know, whatever mix works for you. And, and people expect to pay something like, you know, maybe $10 a month for each of these services, not whatever, 75, 80 that they might for cable. So is this still going to add up to people paying the same amount of money or something close to it um, when streaming takes over? Potentially, yes. It depends how much, how many uh, of these things you're actually into, right? Like as a, as a sports fan personally, um, and I still subscribe to cable, so I get my Yes Network to watch my Yankees. But if I, if I didn't, I would pay whatever it costs to watch the Yankees. And there'll be a number of people that will do that, but there'll also be the casual fans. And that's who's really getting hurt in the whole transitional stage. Um, I feel like they'll figure out a way to, to address them. Um, as we get as we get deeper into this right now, it's all new to everyone, right? They're trying to figure out price points that make sense for the networks or, or whoever's broadcasting it to make up for what they're losing on the cable side, right? When a few years ago, when it was 100 million uh, cable per, uh, subscribers, everyone was making money hand over fist. And there's it, no secret ESPN, I think, makes nine dollars and 50 cents for every subscriber there that's dropped by 30% over the last five years or something like that. Um, so they're trying to make back that revenue. Um, and they're going to start with the people who are obsessed with sports. And there are a lot of people that are obsessed with sports, but I think it's a fine balance between that and some of the stuff that's going to be offered on linear. So in my head, where, where, where my head goes, um, so like Monday night football, like that deal is done. It's a 10 year deal. They ha- it has to be broadcast on linear television. Does that move to ABC now fully? They this 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 first year of the new deal. There's a couple of extra games that are on ABC. So now does that now gravitate back from what is ESPN to ABC in order to fulfill those obligations? Um, I think you'll see a mixture of, of of those sorts of things that the networks are actually coming with. One historical data point at this point that I, I'm it still surprises me every time I look at it, even though I'm I'm pretty familiar with it at this point is. Um, Sinclair bought Diamond Sports Group, which is, you know, holds the Bally's, excuse me, Bally's Sports Networks, the regional sports networks for uh, nine point something billion a few years ago. They have as much data as anyone else on this, on the transition from uh, cable to to streaming, excuse me, cord cutting. Um, How did this now seems like a huge miscalculation on their part? How how did they get that as wrong as they did? And now, you know, of course, Diamond is in bankruptcy. Yeah. So when they purchased it, they were there were 100 million cable subscribers and the sports drove um, drove a lot of those costs. So ESPN is notoriously notoriously known as the highest subscriber fee for 950. But, you know, your Yes Networks, your MSG Networks and all the local RSNs were charging something in the six to seven dollar range. And that business model worked for them at 100 million cable subscribers. Now that that's dropped by 30%, it's no longer working for them. And that's sort of the crux of what's going on between MLB and Diamond Sports and Valleys right now. Um, and it's it's legitimate, you know. Um, that that battle is, is, is coming down to MLB allowing direct-to-consumer rights to them so that they can go ahead and charge $30 a month or whatever it may be for a year um, in order to make sure that they're generating the revenue that, you know, when they 
spent $10 billion, um, generate, can generate for them, right? Like they didn't make that investment with the intentions of losing money and they are losing significant money across a bunch of different teams. So, um, you know, if it continues down this path, the RSNs are in a lot of trouble. Like without a doubt, that's just the nature of, of the business. You can't continue to lose money year over year. So that's why they've really dug their heels in on, on the direct-to-consumer piece because they think that they can at least generate it then while you're still using, you're still losing the, um, the casual viewer. There's enough passionate people that will pay that money that will allow them to at least, you know, break even on, on the deal that they did. Now, MLB is also digging in their heels and not allowing them. I think it's like eight teams or something like that, that they're not allowing them to direct the consumer rights for. Um, and they don't seem like they're budging either. The whole situation that happened in San Diego was very awkward for both parties, I think. And MLB had to hustle to get a whole production crew out there and figure it out. But they're determined, you know, in my head, I think that they want to take it all in. Um, because they have the direct to consumer rights and they can figure out a way to monetize it and make it a valuable proposition for, for the league. Um, they are still concerned with their viewers. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's the, it's the passionate viewer. And that's the reason people buy sports from an advertising standpoint. Those are the people that you want to get in front of. The casuals are great. They make the numbers go up and ratings go through the roof, but it's the passionate people that are sitting there that, will invest in the brands that are supporting you. I buy every single thing that the New York Yankees sell, unfortunately. Uh, but it just, you know, and, and, and that's, that's, that's how that, that's how that works for them. So I think MLB sees that and the ability to control that. And they're going to, I think them and diamond are going to be in some more heated standoffs. I was just reading recently that, you know, Manfred was on the stand a couple of weeks ago, testifying about, the deal that went down and it's, it's just a very different marketplace right now from when diamond came into the fray and ended up purchasing all of those regional sports networks. And at least for MLB is the solution ultimately just take it all in house. You know, when, when these diamond I mean, deals die, I think they see it as an opportunity. Um, and as, as, as they should, because they do own the rights to that and they've seen what's gone on in this test cases across the board with some of the, the teams that actually do have their own rights and, the money and how profitable they still are. So I think they, they look at that as an opportunity. Um, and just based on everything that's gone on between them and diamond has been very contentious at this point. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I do. I think MLB is going to want to try and take over all of it. All right. Adam Schwartz, great insights on a rapidly changing media world. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Owen. That is it for today. Who would you like to hear from on this show? Let us know at today at frontofficesports.com or hit us up on this show's Twitter feed. Give us a follow at FOS underscore today and let us know what you like, who you'd like to have on. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.